Welcome. This session is Breaking the Chains of Dependency, Impacting Underserved Communities Through Servant Leadership. If this is not your session, you have two minutes before we lock the doors, so please get out. No, welcome. We're so glad that you came. Uh, My name is Carrie. I'm a family nurse practitioner, and I have been working in Mauritania, North Africa, for the past 10 years. I'm joined with my colleague. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for making the journey all the way to this side of the building. Um, My name is Elise. I have been serving in Mauritania alongside my colleague in a small clinic in Nouakchott, Mauritania for the past two years, and my background is in administration. We'd like to thank Dr. Mundy for her session, and she pretty much said what we want to say, so we don't have a lot more to present, but uh, we will try to hopefully make this interesting. But before we start, I would love to know what brought you the whole way up to the third floor in the student section to this session. I'd love to just hear from a few of you what brought you to the session. I'm not shy, so I'll start. Uh, I'm with Medical Education International, which is part of CMBA, and uh, we're working with some people in Mauritania. Okay, great. Okay, yeah. Um, We're in the process of developing a new clinic in a rural area in Zambia, and we would like to not foster dependency where we are working. Awesome. So new startup, medical education, new startup in a rural area and not wanting to see dependency. Great. Any more? Yes. I got got short-term and long-term relationships and incarnational living over 20 years in India and in East, West Africa, East Africa, sorry, big difference. Um, (laughs) Always trying to come up alongside local nationals Mm. at the heart and encourage and stay in the back and Great. Coming alongside nationals, being in the back, coming alongside and helping them. Great. Anyone else like to volunteer? What brings you to this session? Yes. Has seen, has seen medical missions done paternalistically and wants to see a different way. Well, thank you for coming. We are so glad to have you here. Uh, I'll let you get into the objectives. <laughs> Today's objectives, we're going to be looking at and recognizing the challenges to lasting change in underserved communities, describing the characteristics of a servant leader, and identifying a way to implement servant leadership in our own personal context. So what brought us here? Uh, Like many of you, I have been attending GMHC for many, many years, and I would come to sessions like this one with the desire to be able to go overseas and to work alongside nationals and to really try to work on not... um, not harnessing dependency, not being a part of that. I have been overseas in Mauritania for about 10 years, and I've been working at a clinic that time that was started by other believers, 
those of you that aren't familiar with the country, it is mostly Islamic. It's almost 100% Islamic. You can't go under a normal missionary visa. So I joined this clinic with the idea of working alongside other believers as well as Mauritanians and sharing the gospel through our work at the clinic, working with the poor and the unreached. This clinic was started by workers, and it was essentially expat-led. I came in, I did not really have a leadership position for the first eight years, and so I just worked alongside our local staff, um, teaching at the bedside, but essentially I was a part of the dependency that we were building without even meaning to. So as Carrie said, she's been working in this clinic for about the past 10 years. I can say my tenure in Mauritania is much shorter than that. I've been working there for about two years. I arrived in Nouakchott, Mauritania, February 2021, and I began working part-time capacity doing some basic administrative things in the clinic in about late April 2021. In December of 2020, I had come back into Mauritania from being stuck outside because of the pandemic. And as I came back into the clinic, as I said, we had expat leadership. And the current director of the clinic came to me and said, I'm going to be leaving in March, three months from now, and we don't have anybody else to step in as the director. Would you be willing to do that role? I prayed about it. It was never anything I wanted to do. I liked the freedom of coming and consulting and being a provider, but then being able to leave and to work on language and work with the locals in other capacities. But as I prayed about it, I really felt that the Lord was giving me the nudge to say yes, at least for a year. And God, in his sovereignty, knows what we need, and he always provides. And that was right, the transition period in March was also the exact same time that Elise, with her administrative background, came to the country and joined and partnered with us. You're welcome. (laughs) So I began working at the clinic late April 2021. I was fresh in the country didn't know much of the culture. I was doing okay in French. In July 2021, just a few months later, my teammates, my colleague Carrie, and another teammate returned to the U.S. So I remained in the clinic. I was the lone foreigner representation in the clinic. And what I found surprised me. A woman who had been working at the farm, in the pharmacy of the clinic for about 11 years, 11 or more years, came up to me one day sometime in July, and she looked at me and she said, we're out of medication. Oh, okay, we'll order some more. I was like, well, what do we do to order more medication? I don't know. And it seemed from that moment when I heard that response of I don't know, that response of I don't know, seemed to snowball in every area of our clinic. And what we came to realize was this bigger problem of that our local clinic staff were over-reliant on foreign help to perform daily tasks, to problem-solve, and to accomplish administrative responsibilities. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) 
This is actually a global problem. This wasn't something new, but I think for me, being not having a leadership position up until this point, I didn't realize how deep the problem was. But this is a global problem. Outside intervention can cause dependency. It can paralyze progress and prevent sustaining change, especially in those underserved communities. Now, how many here have served overseas for, let's say, a month or more? A large part. Great, maybe about half. How many of you went overseas and thought, I would like to cause dependency, paralyze progress, and prevent <laughs> sustaining change? Nobody. That is not our desire. As followers of Jesus, we are going because this is what we want to prevent. But it is a problem. What causes this? Any ideas? Yes. So I'm the reverse. I'm, I'm originally from Nigeria, and I immigrated to America. And coming to America opened my eyes, and running the whole presentation earlier was exactly what a friend of a new friend I just made and I were talking about. Because in coming to America, I realized, and going back to Nigeria to do mission, I realized that, respectfully, that it's power, privilege, and maybe not respecting the ability of the national mm -hmm. to be able to grow based on the transfer of knowledge. Would you like to present? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. We, have, we have a colleague here from Nigeria. So she is coming from the recipient end. I'll see if I can summarize what you beautifully said. And coming then to America and going back to Nigeria, she has seen the problem is power and privilege of those coming overseas. Did I miss anything? And maybe when you look at yourself as a hero... Mm -hmm. Hero mentality. And um, sometimes you really, I'm trying to be politically correct. When people, <laughs> when you are resource disadvantaged, people look at you as human disadvantage. So the person that has the resources don't see the other value of equality. So people that have, that have power and privilege, they really give equality to people that are resource disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. When you have no power and privilege, you cannot demand equality. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at, well, I'll see if I can summarize that again. Um, people with power and privilege, when they come in, it's very hard to see equality with those they're working with when you're coming in with a lot of resources to an area that has low resources. Thank you. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? I always say that when I go to another country, their values are so different from mine, they won't do it my way. Mm -hmm. And for me to say, you got to do it my way is so natural. Mm -hmm. Different values that aren't our own. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. I would say two things. Sag off of what you said. The value of what's there, we don't value. Mm -hmm. We don't value the resources there. there and what, what they bring to, to, to the picture. And also expediency. Mm -hmm. Expediency. Teaching, teaching, teaching is difficult. Teaching mm -hmm. takes time. Yeah. Teaching takes persistence. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's easier to do it yourself. 
Sometimes it's easier to do it yourself. So true, so true. How about two more? So I'm, I'm dovetailing on what you said, sometimes you're so busy you get up into it, it just needs to get done. Yep. And all of a sudden it's years later and you're like, what the heck have I been doing? Sometimes it's you're so busy, you just do it yourself. And then 10 years down the road, um, you, you look at what have you done. Well, thank you for your answers because that's exactly what we have seen in research, in our own practice, and in talking to others. We see poor governance. We see outside solutions coming in saying, this is what's going to be done, so do it. <laughs> we see a lack of trust, and without trust, you will not have results. We see relief versus rehabilitation versus development. We choose the wrong intervention for our context. We see a high turnover rate of foreign and expat volunteers, staff that come in, and I've, we've seen that in our clinic. I heard this word earlier, paternalism, doing something for someone that they can do for themselves. We are fixers. Those of us in healthcare, we want to fix problems. We want to find those solutions, but we're fixing from the outside. Pride. Little accountability. Hierarchical, hierarchical structures, traditional structures. Where we have somebody who's the head defining what happens below. And we see poor leadership. So what do we do about this problem? What do we do about the global problem of dependency? And on a personal context, what do we do with our problem, the clinic? First of all, we knew that we couldn't do it on our own. We could not fix this problem that has been going on for years, as well as a global problem. We really needed the Lord's help. So the first thing we did was we went to prayer and we asked the Lord, what do we do with this? What would you like to teach us? Our clinic has a very excellent reputation in the country where we serve. We have people coming from all parts of the country because their family in that poor neighborhood has told them, we know a clinic that can heal you. We know a clinic that gives good care. Come to the capital. Come to us, and, we, and we'll take you there. So we have people coming from all over. So there is a good reputation at our clinic. Uh, we have good standing with the government, and it's a great place for us to come and to learn the culture and to work with the culture. However, as we've already discussed, there's also some challenging aspects. It's been an expat-run clinic. We did not see ownership in our staff. We did not see accountability being held up. We saw money disappearing and not really knowing where. We had people saying, that's not my job. I don't know how to do it. Um, so we did, see, we did see that there was a problem as well. We wanted to be able to instill ownership. We wanted to improve the work at the clinic. But how do we get there? And as Carrie said, sometimes it just seemed like too much. Where do we start? But it was very humbling, and it was a blessing to get to the point 
where we could say, God, we cannot do this on our own. What does leadership, what does effective leadership look like in this situation? And verses that came to mind as we're praying, as we're refocusing, re-strategizing, were verses found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I'm just going to read these for you right now. Therefore, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be advantaged or used in his own something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so as we begin to re-strategize and to re-look at what we are doing, number one is we want God to be glorified. We want God to be glorified, and in that, we begin doing research. And if I could recommend one book to any of you, that would be the book When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickard. Has anybody read this book? Okay, great. It's, it's a great book. And so we begin to look at what he calls interventions. The first one was relief. Relief, we would look at that as to stop the bleeding. And we had to do that. We had to go into the clinic, and we had to stop stop the bleeding, but we also had to take seriously that relief by itself was not going to cause lasting, sustainable change. Relief is temporary, it's immediate, and seldom. So we didn't stop there, we didn't, we didn't stop at relief. Then we had to look at the intervention of rehabilitation. Re- rehabilitation moving past that provider-recipient relationship and coming alongside people and working with people. We had to do this as well. There were systems that were outdated. Our poor clinic staff, they were using computers that were in Portuguese and Spanish, so we had to come in and get them computers in a language that they understood. And we understood. And we understood. (laughs) (laughs) And and even looking at the um, actual structure of the clinic, I have to be honest, there were days... We did not want to be there. It was miserable. It was hot. It was ugly. So we did. We came in, and we had to create an environment where essentially we're saying, you, are, you have dignity in coming here. We want you to feel dignity. We want you to feel love. But we didn't stop at rehabilitation because we knew the most effective way to impact lasting change in our clinic was development. And development even moves past just working with people, but it's empowering these people to be their own solution. And it's a very relational type of leadership, and it's a very hard type of leadership. And so this 
This is where we've been for the last year is this development process, this empowerment process. And as we, as we work through these, and some of these things came together, some of them were separate and segregated, but we found that there was a theory of principles that spoke to what we were trying to do, and that is called servant leadership. And as we learned about this servant leadership, we realized this is what we want to do in emulating Christ, as Philippians 2 says, loving others, putting them above ourselves, humbling ourselves, and coming along to serve them. Some of the essence of what we were doing was to listen more than tell, was to try to persuade more than commanding, empowering more than controlling. We had to set the bar high, and we wanted to come alongside and help others to succeed rather than just see ourselves succeed and to see our clinic succeed. We wanted those we worked with and for to also feel dignity, value, and worth because before God, they are worthy. So as we looked at servant leadership, it's important to talk about Robert Greenleaf. How many of you have heard of Robert Greenleaf? If you've done a lot with servant leadership, he would be known as the modern-day founder of the term servant leadership. Uh, We know that Jesus was our great servant leader, and servant leadership has been going on for thousands of years by believers following in Jesus' footsteps. But Robert Greenleaf speaks to a leader first versus a servant first. He says the difference manifests itself in the care taken by the servant first to make sure that other people's highest priority needs are being served. The best test and difficult to administer is, do those served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least Will they not be further deprived? So, as we look at this, I think many of you can relate to this. These are the results we want to see as followers of Jesus, as medical providers going and serving underserved communities. In breaking the chains of dependency, we're also building connection and community with others. Larry Spears is another leader in servant leadership, and he has compiled 10 basic principles of servant leadership that we've used in the clinic, and many people use them in servant leadership, so we'd like to go through those briefly. First of all is listening. Listening to hear, not to respond. Asking questions and listening to the response, not assuming. It's a concept of coaching. Listen, draw out their ideas through listening and asking. Second characteristic would be empathy. And again, it's a beautiful place to get to when you realize I am no more broken than the person I am serving, however Jesus Christ has made me whole. But in terms of brokenness, we're all broken before God. 
And so when we can get to that point, empathy is what we can feel towards these people versus sympathy. Healing, something we emphasize over and over again with our clinic staff, is they have worth. They have worth, and from this worth, they have dignity, and from this dignity, they have hope, and that hope is connected to their healing. Number four is awareness. Or maybe we can even say EQ, emotional intelligence. Knowing ourselves, knowing who we are, where our struggles are, and then being aware of others and where they're at, where those differences are. Persuasion. Going back to an idea that Robert Greenleaf um, said, he said, there's a difference between persuasion and coercion, and often we are coerced more than we think. Persuasion would be using logic to prove something, whereas coercion would be using manipulative tactics or your emotions to get what you want. In Mauritania, it is very much a blame-based society, and what we did not want to do was manipulate or to coerce our staff. We wanted to persuade them to show them that by taking these steps, by being held accountable, by having high expectations of them, these logical steps were actually going to benefit their lives, make them more effective and more efficient. And at the, at the beginning, initially, it, it, was, it was a little bumpy, but as it progressed, they could see, oh yes, this is benefiting me and my growth. Conceptualization, being able to see beyond the day-by-day operational tasks and being able to create a vision and then being able to bring others into that vision and see them embrace that vision. Foresight, being able to learn the lessons of the past. We had a lot of lessons we could learn from being able to understand the reality of the present and also being able to look to the future, recognize the likely consequences of different decisions and things that may be missed. In our case, I'm jumping ahead of the story a little bit, but one of the decisions we had to make was what do we do when we come to GMHC? We're currently the two expats there, and through this process, through this journey, we felt our staff was ready to take over the clinic, and they are now leading the clinic for the next two months while we are stateside. We know that might have some consequences, but for us, the benefits and the dignity and the worth that that has already instilled far outweighs it. Instilling stewardship. And I love this definition of stewardship, holding something in trust for one another. And earlier in the year, we had to make some modifications. We did some renovations on our building, again, to create a safe, clean place for our patients and for our staff. And from that, again, I'm repeating dignity and worth. I think they caught a sense of that. And we see them being stewards of their space. Um, stewards of their time, and even stewards of now how they are interacting with the patients that come in. And while this is number nine, perhaps this is the number one 
difference between servant leadership and other forms of leadership. It's the commitment to the growth of people. It is different from even transformational leadership and other forms that are similar and have a lot of, uh, a lot of overlap. But with servant leadership, we are more concerned about the growth of those around us than the organization, than the clinic. And we have seen the Lord bless that. The last characteristic of a, stu- of a servant leader would be building community, putting that emphasis on building community. And that is something we've really pushed for and saying, this clinic staff, your position is not a silo. We're a team. We work together. If there's a need and you can, go help them. And so again, just emphasizing that we're a team, we're a community, we are here to serve this neighborhood. And for, for a while, it really did feel much like us versus them. But throughout this progress, and I love this picture, it has changed significantly. The, our nurse, Kuka, to the, to the far left of the picture, she had the initiative to come up with this idea for us to wear matching outfits to another staff member's daughter's wedding. And I loved what she said. I want it to be blue. The outside of our clinic is blue. I want this blue to represent us. It represents hope. And so we can see that this idea of community and being together has really caught with them. I also love the picture of us all in blue because <laughs> the, the staff member that initiated the project, she did it with her own resources. She did it on her own initiative, and she brought everybody in, expats, our interns, our employees, and it was an amazing team-building activity that we did not do. So, what happened? We were shocked. We have seen so many changes in the clinic. The clinic has transformed and we had a a moment about two months ago we walked in Carrie went to staff and said do you need anything from me I'm here if you need anything they said no we're fine so we sat upstairs and ate snacks (laughs) (laughs) no but we have seen um, I think for example how these these women have taken what they have learned and it has moved outside of the clinic walls We recently had a very rainy season in the summer, and these women took it upon themselves to go out and to explain to the community how to stay safe, how to keep your living space clean, and especially how to have clean drinking water. And so we've been very encouraged to see these ideas, and again, this dignity. It hasn't just stopped within the clinic walls, but it's moving outside of the clinic walls to the community. We've seen changes just in basic things such as punctuality. Staff that was coming in regularly 30 minutes late are now at least three minutes early. (laughs) We see amazing improvement in self-esteem. One of the staff that I worked with very closely, I had worked with her for years, teaching and talking about things with her, but she always lacked the confidence in what she called difficult cases to manage. She would always call me in and I would encourage her, you need to trust yourself. You're doing the right treatment. You have, you have the ability. 
But through this process, as we have been shifting and changing and asking questions, we have seen her start taking initiative on her own. We've seen her self-esteem build to the place where somebody who's very shy goes to a national training program and she is called up and she is teaching the skills because she had already learned it and was applying it. So seeing, seeing them embrace who God has created them to be. Mm-hmm. Again, um, similar to what Carrie had, says, had said, they're more autonomous. I can think back to that same response that the pharmacist gave me when she said last summer, I don't know how to order medications. And about, I would say, a month and a half ago, two months ago, I walked into the clinic, and lo and behold, I saw her with our administrative assistant ordering medications. And we celebrated this because she was doing this, and her response was, that's my job. So something like this, it's very hard to look at it quantitatively. This is a qualitative situation, and it's very hard. Like, how do we know if it's working? We're seeing the changes. We're seeing some things. Even financially, we have seen the clinic do so much better than in the past, and we don't know why. We have cut out a day of consultation so we could do staff training, staff meetings, Um, We had non-paying patients come that day, and yet we're seeing larger patients' numbers coming through our door. We're seeing higher revenue. Why? I don't know. But let's let's look at what Robert Greenleaf says is the litmus test. And so as we, we continued to research and to read, we really did focus on what Robert Greenleaf had to say about servant leadership and that outcome. Is it really working? And like Carrie said, it's hard to quantify, but like Robert Greenleaf says, the best test is the best test and the most difficult test tests are do those who are being served grow as persons, do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely to become servants themselves. And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit, or at least will they not be further deprived? We are in a place, we are in one of the ghettos of the capital. We serve a very least privileged group of people, and we have seen more of them coming and getting care that they can afford. And again, we don't know how this is happening except through God's grace. So what have we learned in this process? And again, the beautiful thing about servant leadership is you're not just seeing the people you serve change, you yourself change. And that has been amazing to me I remember, and I can vividly remember when I was raising support to go to the field, I went to a church, and I think I said something like, I have something to offer these people. And, and two years into this, to this time, to my time in Mauritania, I have learned to truly appreciate the process, not just the product. This is a lifelong journey that we're taking, and so the Lord has shifted my perspective from being a fixer. It needs to look like this to what are the people I'm serving experiencing as we are working together 
and just this change of thinking is it's about the process. It is not about the product. I've learned they do not need me and they don't need you. They need Jesus. We need to not be the Moseses. We need to be the Aaron's and the hers. We need to come alongside the local leadership. We need to be the ones coming and saying, how can we serve you? We need to be asking people like our sister, what would serve your community? How can we come alongside? Who was her? We don't know a lot about her. He doesn't, we don't have a lot. Perhaps he was the nephew of Moses and Aaron, but beyond that, we don't know. But his role was important. God used him. So that is who we need to be. So what can servant leadership do for medical missions and dependency? In listening, what were some of the thoughts that you had? Just kind of throw them out there popcorn style. Bigger impact. More sustainable. Release control. Release control. Thank you. God is always in the process. God is always in the process. Medicine is set up beautifully for servant leadership. It is a it is a field. It is full of occupations of servants, people wanting to serve. Medical missions is that desire of going to the least reached, going to serve those underserved communities. Whether you stay here in the U.S. and you go to a rural community or you go to an urban underserved area or you go overseas, medicine is set up to be servant leaders. But why aren't we seeing this? What are the things that are keeping us from progressing? As we were doing some of the research for this presentation, it was hard to find articles about servant leadership and healthcare. There's a few, but very, very few, and very few to see what the results are. So we need people like you going out and doing this and sharing it. So we can look at what remains what remains, what further work needs to be done, what questions need to be asked. And we ask, is development still being their solution? I think that's a fine balance. How does one instill ownership and responsibility in someone else? You can't. (laughs) What do we do with the current dependent establishments and systems in place? What about medical mistakes which lead to more harm than good? And I will say here, there are times where I did need to step in. And I did need to take a more authoritative stance. But that was very seldom. It was very rare. And it was only when absolutely necessary. What are the barriers that has us sending in expats rather than partnering with locals, local providers, and equipping them? And what is preventing healthcare from embracing servant leadership? This brings us to the application part. 
What are you going to do? What is your next step to becoming a servant leader? As followers of Jesus, we are called to follow the greatest servant leader there was, Jesus. As we read in Philippians, to love others, to put others above ourselves, to humble ourselves. So I want to ask you a few questions. And I encourage you, if one question stands out, hold on to that and think through your answer. And let the Lord invite you to something new. What stood out at you? What made you feel excited about the story? What made you feel defensive? What is not working in your current context or situation? Where is the Lord inviting you to put others first? If I could go back 10 years and talk to my pre-mission self, these are some of the lessons that I would like to share with myself and I share with you. First of all, being a servant leader means listening instead of telling. Learn how to ask good questions and learn how to listen to those answers. Learn from them before you come in to teach. I have learned so much from my staff and my colleagues. I have learned more than I could ever teach them because they know their culture, they know their context, they know their resources. And so be a learner, a lifelong learner. And remember to let them be the solution. When they are given the space to be innovative and creative and they are empowered, it's amazing to see the solutions that they come up with. And remember, God was working in your country, your place of work. He was working there long before you arrived, and he will be working there long after you leave. They need Jesus, not you. (laughs) So we referenced a few of these amazing resources. We will have a thorough reference list on the website at medicalmissions.com. But we now would love to open up the floor for our remaining time for questions. Here is some contact information. If you would like to get a hold of us, feel free to take a picture or write that down. But let's hear from you. What questions do you have? Uh, I'd like to hear an example of when you let others be the solution. Mm. And how Mm -hmm. it went. I'm sure you have. Okay, Uh, the question was an example of when we let others be a solution. So, uh, for instance, I'll give a medical one. I went into, I was caught into the consultation room and I asked, I was asked, like, what to do with this patient and I knew our staff member was able to take care of it and so I said, well, what do you think? She said, well, I think I would, I think I would send them to a specialist or send them to you. So I'm sending them to you. I said, okay, I'm here. What do you think I should do? And she's like, oh. And you could see her start to think. And I said, and I could tell she was very hesitant. I said, I'm here with you and I'm not going to let you make a decision that's going to harm the patient. But what do you think we should do in this situation? And that was a pivotal moment in her taking ownership 
because you could see and she started and she shared and, and I affirmed and encouraged where she was absolutely correct. And then I shared, I corrected when necessary, but I would also share when there might be a different solution and why I would choose this. And so that was a pivotal part where we started seeing her start shifting and it was just turning that back to them and asking them why. I think you should share about um, the bank. Oh, okay. Our administrative assistant, um, I love her to death. She really did struggle initially with what we would say create critical thinking. Um, and we did have a situation. She went to the bank and she wanted to get a check certified. And we get a phone call. They won't let me do it. They don't have the right signature. Well, a year ago, the solution would have been Carrie would have driven to the bank and she would have solved that problem. Well, rather than rushing to the bank, we, get, we gave it some space, let our admin assistant work. We get a phone call in about 10 minutes. Oh, I, got, I went into the director's office and I asked him if I could do it and he did it for me so the check is certified, don't worry. So even something very small like that, giving them to, the space to think for themselves and her solution to the problem was better than what we could have done in that situation. For, for us, the big thing in letting them be the solution is saying, what do you think? Yeah. And listening, because they have ideas. Ask them again, what else? Those were our, the two questions that we asked the most. The question is, what is our vision? What do we see for our clinic? And I'll answer personally, and Elise, feel free to jump in. Uh, we said, what would happen if all the expats left? And we really wanted to get the clinic to the point where if we had to leave suddenly, and that's a very real possibility in the context we're in, could the clinic continue? And so that is one of our dreams, is to allow the clinic to run without any expat reliance. Financially, it is very independent. And I would say even administratively and medically, we are very close to that independence. And we're giving them a two-month trial run on that. My personal desire would be to continue. These are relationships we have built. These are Muslim staff. Uh, we've talked a lot about women. Most of our staff are women, but we do have some men working um, janitorially uh, as, a, as a guard as well. But our desire is to see them know Jesus. And the spirit is present there because of the expats, because we are the ones that are believers. And so we desire to partner and to walk alongside them, but to be the errands and the hers and help them dream and, and have vision. And we see that already happening. And so we see, I see my role as coming alongside as an encouragement, but also being there as a presence of the spirit and continuing to invest spiritually in the lives of these women who are very clearly on a journey and are very close to meeting Jesus. Um, 
important do you think it is that you had a 10-year or 8-year, whatever, relationship there initially versus if you had just come in and tried to help in that way? Oh, excellent question. Uh, how important was having that 10, 8-year relationship? And I do think that is a big part in building trust is longevity. And I think that was huge because they already knew who I was when I stepped in. I waited a few months before I made any changes, and Elise helped us find more problems. And so when we started working on that, I had only been director about four months but because I had that relationship, we did have a very high trust level. And if you look at research, even in different contexts, with servant leadership as a whole, it does take time, and it is not a quick fix. And so this is not something I would encourage you to do if you're expecting results in six months, because you do need some form of longevity. And I think because I had been there and because other expats had been there and had shown love and the clinic was is known as a clinic that shows love and listens, uh, I think because of that, Elise coming in as one of us, uh, she already had a little bit of a step because we did have that trust. Mm -hmm. Disasters? Where do we start? <laughs> Ooh, I'm trying to think of some disasters. Oh, have we had any? Hmm. We started with a lot of disasters. We, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think. Well, the good news is, is we don't have a lot coming to us, so they weren't, yeah, yeah, they yeah. weren't terrible. I can think... We've had a few like faux pas where um, the the minister of health calls us and says, "Oh, we have we have um, training tomorrow. It's 10 p.m. Your staff needs to be there at 8 a.m." and just trying to figure out what to do with that. And that is those are the times where I do throw it back to our our local staff, and they come up with solutions. And so I would say. We haven't yet seen any huge disasters, and the small ones we've been able to mend quite readily thanks to our staff and for them helping us. Mm -hmm. We'll let you know in January when we go back. <laughs> well, I even, not necessarily a disaster, but then coming in from an administrative perspective, there were a lot of things that we needed to work on. I mean, I, I remember stepping into the office and being like, are there any tax forms anywhere? And come to find out we had never been paying taxes. <laughs> but it was a great learning opportunity because we were able to bring the admin assistant with us and we walked through the process with her. And now she, we, all we do is sign the checks. And so she's able to learn that. And so we've seen administrative disasters, things like that, numbers not adding up, Excel spreadsheets gone mad. And so things like that, but things that were that were fixable with time. And we have to emphasize prayer and the Holy Spirit. In the case of the taxes, the clinic has been in runnings for about 14 years. And we went, we were very honest, we were very open, and we were given a lot of grace, no penalties, and we are in good standing with the government. So God is good in those disasters yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. It's so much of the same stuff. 
he talks about coming to people with humble curiosity and learning about their lives and not coming in like a preacher um, or someone trying to change. And it's just been really impactful in how we run our clinic, which is, you know, you think, oh, no, it's got to come from the Bible or the Christian world. But just a really excellent book with some really strong points on how to get from, he's, he's addressing the problem in America and no one else talking to each other. But it's the same kind of thing. Everybody has their, I'm right, I know how to do it. And and he's saying, no, let's come at it a different way. Mm-hmm. And he gives some really good questions to ask. Like you said, ask good questions. He's got a lot of that. Thank you. And that book is called Think Again? Think Again by Adam Grant. By Adam Grant. Think Again by Adam Grant. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Um, because of where you are at um, the Muslim circumstances, if it's not that kind of circumstances, if it's somewhere um, friendly to Christian religion, like you have a freedom of, freedom of religion, would you be able to completely left and then let them I think so. I I believe we could. um, Oh, so so the question was, um, if we were not in our Muslim context, a completely closed context, is the clinic at the point where we could leave? Um, And I I do believe that we are very close, and we have left them to run and manage the clinic while we are gone. until January, and so we are anticipating returning. We're very excited to return because we have full trust and faith that they're going to do very well. In a Muslim context, uh, discipleship takes a very, very, very long time. And in an open, in a more Christian-friendly environment, I do think we would probably have some believing staff on board, and we would be able to very easily turn over the clinic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're happy to be there too. <laughs> yes. So, are most of your staff like nurses? Like, what are you training uh, them as? Okay. Go ahead. Uh, the question was about our staff. So it is um, it is a nurse-run clinic at the moment. We have had some visiting physicians at times, but our local staff are trained at the level of. Uh, loosely an RN, probably an associate's degree here in the U.S., but in our context, they do function as a nurse practitioner would here in the context, uh, referring out where needed, but essentially they are providers, they are treaters, they do write prescriptions. So we have two treaters. We have two auxiliary staff, which would be um, somewhat an equivalent of a nursing assistant, but they too have been trained to treat and prescribe, we have chosen to leave them in a capacity where they are more educators, they are more, they're coming alongside, they're doing more community health. Uh, one of those ladies is running our pharmacy. She knows the basics of the pharmaceuticals we sell. We also, we also have several interns, which that is a part of our story we did not touch on. Uh, halfway through this process, we were approached by an organization um, in our area as well, and they asked if we would accept interns. We were actually the only, the only place that accepted their interns to come and just learn about basics of nutrition. And so we currently have three of those interns on staff with us 
for a year program and we have our staff speaking into them and training them at a nursing assistant level and then we also just um, our administrative assistant does have a little bit of administrative background and training but very very little yes So, in what ways um, are we able to implement discipleship in this closed context? It varies um, from time to time. We really have tried to emphasize their worth and their dignity and interconnect that with that is because God loves them. And we do love to talk about our faith in Jesus and how we are followers of Jesus. So they, they know that we are Christian. And, and so it's at t- they do seem open to it, and we're able to talk about it and have some dialogue, not to the point, I think, that we would like, but even, even, um, even pr- in prayer with patients, um, this is something we want to see more of. We have what we call the upper room. And this is an area where the original founders of the clinic wanted to dedicate specifically to prayer. And when we return, that's something we want to see more of is prayer and inviting people in to pray and to see, to see things like that. And in a clinical context, just being able, as I work next to our staff, being able to share, like, you know, the Lord healed them, or offering to pray. We've had some really hard situations with um, just young women being abused or young women coming in pregnant, and, and then offering to pray for them in the name of Jesus. And I have never had anyone refuse that and our staff has even translated for me into languages I don't speak as needed and so all of our staff have heard the gospel many 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 times over and it's up to the Lord to bring that fruit but thanks for asking great yeah, question yeah. we probably have room for one or two more questions yeah. I wanted to know if the staff themselves how aware are they of the transformation and have you ever thought of leveraging that as an example of what the, what praying to our God can do? So, great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Can I take this yeah, one? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. The question was, uh, let me see if I can articulate this. Yeah. The question is, with the transformation of the clinic, has the staff seen that? And have we been able to incorporate the idea that this, this is what happens when we pray? A hundred percent. Our staff keeps saying to us, thank you. They love coming to the clinic. Before, they came late, they left early. Now they sit around and they talk. Um, We see that and they say, you have done so much. You have painted the clinic. You have remodeled the clinic. You have put systems into place. We feel, they, they feel encouraged. And we've been able to say, no, that's not us. That's God at work. We pray for you. We've prayed about this, and this is God working, and they see that. Quick example, we had a little girl come in, and she's very handicapped, 12 years old. Somebody that day had texted me and said, can you use a stroller? I said, well, I'm sure we can find someone that did. I brought that stroller in that day. I 
put it beside the door. I came in to say hello to my staff. I walk into the first room and I see this little 12-year-old who needed a stroller and needed a wheelchair. And I said, does she have Does she have a stroller? And they said, no, she doesn't. So I talked to them and I shared with our staff, miracles of miracles. Today I walked in with a stroller. God knew that little girl was going to come and needed that. And they said, we saw her the other day. You weren't here. And we didn't know if you could do anything, but we told her to come back today, and she did. And so what an amazing miracle. They're still talking about that miracle. They know it was God. Thank you very much for coming. We have a basket in the back to put your evaluations, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the conference.